Started in the early 2000s, maybe uh, no, 2001, two, three, four, somewhere in the early 2000s. There was a union, and like unions tend to do sometimes when they feel like their workers and them are not being treated fairly or getting their rights or what have you, they go on strike. Now, the entity which this union was going on strike against is a powerful union. And they didn't want to concede anything to the, to the union, this entity. They didn't want to kind of compromise. And maybe unique to this situation, this entity saw a, maybe you could call it a loophole or another route where they could still maintain their business, do their business, and in fact, quite possibly and evidently, cut their costs, cut their overhead. And continue to make money without having to concede to this union. And that's what kind of birthed um, the remakes and, and the reboots. But let me tie it back. This union I'm talking about is the writers union. Uh, predominantly in California, Hollywood. But I'm sure in New York and other places where they film things. Uh, the writers unions went on strike. I don't know exactly why or what what they were looking to get, what they were looking to gain and change. But this entity called Hollywood, you know, called TV and movies, was like, oh, man, we don't really want to fucking give these guys anything. Reality TV was nothing new. I mean, you got uh, The Real World and all those shows that, that kind of kicked it off. And we would see probably some of these other ones, like, I don't know, Big Brother or whatever, those shit, Survivor or whatever. But you would start to see a huge number of reality shows coming in, right? Because these, these entities, this entity, who didn't want to cooperate or, or concede to anything to the union, says, you know what? Let's give, let's give it a go a little more with these reality shows, right? We don't got to pay these big superstars. They don't need a big, huge salary. Shit, I mean, the allure of being on TV is enough to get most people to do it, and then they can pay them a fraction of what they had to pay their stars Right, so they're cutting that overhead. They don't have to have sets built, right? They film it in that person's home, or they maybe they rent out a, a restaurant or a, or a place, a public place for that for the afternoon, right? They don't have to worry about traveling too much with these people. Um, they're starting to already kind of develop a way to do this to still make TV without having to deal with this this writer's strike. And they're seeing how reality TV is working. And yes, I know there's like the Kim Kardashians and. Those housewives were kind of rich, but I'm talking more about the uh, the duck dudes, whatever they was called, duck dynasty, the honey boo boos, the the ninety day fiancés, whatever you see now. They ain't getting paid much at all, but motherfuckers want to be on TV. Everybody wants to be famous. I get it. This is cheap, man. You don't gotta pay. You know, I don't know what it was that they always say um, that show Friends, which I don't watch ever. Those people were getting, I don't know how much, man, 10, 20, 30 grand uh, an episode. Maybe more. Maybe Seinfeld and them were getting more. That's a lot. Imagine if you don't got to pay your actors, because they ain't actors, shit. And you don't got to pay for the sets. And you can cut it down a lot. Now, come to the movies, right? Oh, man, how, how are you going to do that? Reality TV flies on TV for sure, but I don't really play in the movies, you know. Well, we already got these other movies that have been proven successful. Uh, why don't we just reboot them? Remake them, right? You don't got to write a new movie. 
You don't got to pay anyone to write some new shit. We know this movie 15, 10, 20, 30, whatever years ago was a successful movie. Let's remake it. Let's reboot the franchise, right? Let's milk it for a newer generation who probably doesn't even know or aware of these other movies, some of which are classics. Let's cut corners here. Let's cut costs here and not we don't have to deal with the writers' union. So, uh, you know, that kind of birthed this, this remake, um, I don't know, man, phenomenon culture, influx. I don't know. Pick your nomenclature, man. But you know, just like as I do, there's mad fucking remakes. There's mad reboots. And there's a lot of them, damn near most of them, that Jake the Snake is not a fan of. In fact, I could say I hate them. I mean, shit, when they did the um, Point Break remake, which is barely a remake, uh, I damn near went down and picketed that shit, you know? And I didn't watch it. No, I did not. I would not do that. But there's so many remakes. I mean, they remade fucking Superfly, which is uh, my favorite movie soundtrack of all time. Shout out to Curtis Mayfield. But it's a great movie. Not only one of the maybe the best black exploitation movie, but just a fucking fantastic movie regardless of genre. They remade that shit like two years ago. Chances I would ever fucking watch that. You gotta be shitting me. They're remaking Scarface. Okay, why don't we already like just pick a new story? Why do we have to be patronizing to the crowd and lazy and just rehash stories and possibly ruin them? Gosh, the remake game uh, gets me riled up. I'm a film fan, right? I'm a cinephile, movie nerd dude to a degree. But I love cinema and film because... <laughs> That's how you know if somebody's a, uh, that's how you know if somebody's like a movie nerd or a cinephile or some whatever, because they'll say cinema and film instead of movies. But the reason why I love movies, I don't make them. I don't act in them. I don't write them. I don't direct them, right? So it's an art form that I can enjoy just purely as a fan, unlike music, broadcasting, writing, uh, you know, take your pick. And I fucking hate these remakes, dude. And if you're like me, if you have a keen eye for quality art and movies that you loved, and you don't like seeing them fucking remade and butchered. And like, you know, they suck sometimes, most of the time. It sucks, man. It hurts my heart. And it, it just it bums me out because it's basically a huge fucking sign saying, hey, uh, we're not embracing creativity. Uh, fuck all that, you know? It sucks. But these days and times, in general, trying to live life a little different. Trying to see the glass half full when I can. Doesn't mean I'm not upset and, and, and annoyed and disappointed and fucking heartbroken and angered. Yes, all of those. By these remakes and these reboots and these constant ones. And like, dude, they keep popping up. I'm like, you fucking kidding me? You know? Shit from your childhood, shit from your adolescence, your adulthood. Getting remade like trash. Um, excuse me, I'm burping. I'm drinking a, a hard seltzer because I'm trying to watch my calories. And it's making me burp. I don't like soda. But soda water with this, you know, whatever booze. I don't even know what the booze they put in it, but it's making me burp. But anyway, um, I'm trying to look at shit with a glass half full. Maybe not be so negative, Snake. Why don't you be so negative? All right, dude, I'm trying. There's some, I, I did some thinking, some recollecting, some reflecting, possibly some research. There's some good fucking remakes. Not a lot. Let's not get crazy here. Don't go jumping for joy. But there's some that I'm like, all right, you know what? That was a really good remake. There was some that I was unaware that were already remakes. And I'm talking about older flicks. So I said, why not, being the generous motherfucker that I try to be, share these jewels with you. So if you're like me and you hate most of these remakes and you fucking threw your food at the TV when you seen the, the, the Point Break remake, probably at your computer if you watched it on IMDb, whatever. Yeah, I get you. I feel you, brother, sister. 
person. But yo, there's a few good ones. So I wanted to kind of go through these, you know, um, as I as I drink this hard seltzer. I'm parched, man. It's fucking hot out. The air quality ain't shit. And I haven't been podcasting as late because of personal matters, family matters that have kind of derailed me. But I'm here, man. I'm trying to share some shit for you, especially if you ain't working as much. If you are in the crib more or you're gearing up for wintertime, depending on the climate in which you live, here's some quality remakes that I co-signed. Damaged goods approved. Check the snake approved. All right? Listen to me drink this. All right. Um, Cape Fear. Originally, it's a Hitchcock movie. And I know, I know a lot of people, um, they won't watch movies from like the 50s or the 60s. Shit, damn near the 70s, which is the best movie decade if you ask me. But they won't watch old movies for whatever reason. And okay, that's fine. That's you. Hitchcock is a mastermind of, of cinema, of, of kind of eerie, freaky, horror type shit. Thrillers, if you will. Uh, but the original Cape Fear, maybe that's too old for you. Okay, fine. Martin Scorsese, you like Goodfellas, right? You like The Departed, probably some of you. Raging Bull, Little Taxi Driver, whatever you, you pick. Scorsese's a beast. You like him. Okay, fine. Cape Fear, the Scorsese remake. Uh, and, and Martin Scorsese is, I mean, to be a great director or a great artist of anything, you have to be a fan of, of the forefathers of what you're doing, the four people of what you're doing. Uh, he's a huge Akira Kurosawa fan, and he likes Hitchcock. And if you've ever seen the Scorsese Cape Fear, he does a great homage to, to Hitchcock while also making it his movie. He brings in Robert De Niro, you know, a longtime collaborator, who was one of the actors I always found was, especially at his peak, was great at playing the kind of creepy, weird, scary, nuts dude, kind of crazy, you know? Christopher Walken also shares that trait, and I'm sure there's others. This is De Niro playing a fucking, you know, an alleged murderer, crazy psychopath killer convict dude coming out of jail. Um, so he kills this role. He gets in creepy shape. He got the tattoos, you know, the whole nine. You got a young Juliette Lewis playing a, a, an ill role. You got Nick Nolte doing his thing. Scorsese kills it. And I would go to argue that this, out of his catalog, is one of the more, like... It's not like hated on by any means. It got nominated for Academy Awards. People like this movie. It just doesn't get thrown in a conversation with some of these other ones. Maybe overlooked. But it's a fucking fire remake. Now you're talking about, um, I was talking about Scorsese's influences, right? Kira Kurosawa. Great Japanese director. Made so many dope movies in, a, in periods where, man, what movies in the 50s and 60s? No doubt. Fine. I get you. He made this movie called Seven, Seven Samurai. Sorry, Seven Samurai great movie, uh, was remade into The Magnificent Seven by Antoine Fuqua, who directed uh, Training Day and some other flicks. It's a good remake, man. I just seen it recently, and I was hesitant for a number of reasons, mainly because I like the original. But this is, a, you're taking a feudal Japan samurai story, and you're readapting it to the Wild West in, uh, in the United States of America. And it's a, it's a pretty good remake, man. Denzel fucking helms the cast, uh, and it's a lot of dope actors, and it's a good remake. I say, go fucking check it out. Manchurian Candidate, speaking of Denzel Washington, um, the original one is, ah, oh Christ, I should have, damn it, Snake Man, you should have checked this out. I'm blanking on who the original ad, ad, star of the main one was in the late 60s. Um, but the remake with Denzel is fucking fire. I think this is also one of Denzel's uh, most slept on roles, you know? He often plays like the man, you know, like the ill kind of dude you like, but any good actor can play 
um, undesirable characters, people you despise, not the hero, which Denzel's done in a lot of movies. Manchurian Candidate, he is the protagonist, and he's not like an um, an undesirable character, one you despise, and like that. But he's kind of he's a dude with PTSD, a, uh, a decorated soldier. He's kind of not all the way there. He's not like stoic in a lot of ways, but he kills this role, and that's why he's a great actor. Fucking kills this role. Manchurian Candidate, excellent remake. John Carpenter's The Thing. This is an 80s flick. Kurt Russell, who's awesome. Now, they did a remake of The Thing, um, I'd say probably in the last 10 years. And uh, the original is, it's not a horror movie. It's kind of a thriller, kind of like a weird, I don't know what you call it, monstery, mystery, kind of creepy film. The new one, granted I didn't see it, so right here, Snake Man goes judging a fucking book by its cover. It looked more like horror-ish. And I'm not a fan of the horror genre in general, especially not all these new joints. But it's a remake of The Thing, right? So I'm like, oh, the, the John Carpenter version with, with Kurt Russell is a classic. Okay, Snake Man, do your fucking research, bro. Lo and behold, this John Carpenter classic, which me and most people regard as a classic, uh, was a remake of like a 50s movie. Didn't know that. Didn't see it, the original. Uh, you know, and it's probably not high on my list. But so technically speaking, John Carpenter's The Thing is a great remake. And I highly recommend it. Do you hear that hard sales are going down? Do you guys making fun of me? Who's making fun of me? I'm trying to fucking chill, man. I can't drink beers and heavy shit, man. That shit packs on the pounds, baby. Uh, Nosferatu, which is like the Dracula movie, the OG Dracula story. There's an old one from, Christ, man, I don't know, damn near silent film era, which is like regarded as like a classic. My man, uh, Werner Herzog, which is one of my favorite directors, and that's probably the most hipstery thing you'll ever hear me say. Um, he directed it. And he has his longtime collaborator, Klaus Kinski, in it. And they have, uh, there's actually a dope documentary Herzog did about him and Klaus Kinski. And they've done a lot of films together. They've argued, fought, beefed, crazy shit. Like, I tried to kill each other on set. And it just enriches the story of the movies. This one, you know, Klaus Kinski is playing Nosferatu. He's playing Dracula. It's shot in black and white, kind of eerie like the original. And Herzog is, he's a subtle director. He doesn't force styles down your throat. He doesn't force intense dialogue or crazy scenes. Maybe he doesn't always have the most memorable scenes per se, but his his um, the whole piece is very rich. It's very full, and it satisfies me in a different way. He doesn't try too hard, which I really kind of respect, because when it comes off gracefully like that, it's a magical thing. And yeah, check out all Herzog flicks, but yeah, the Nosferatu remake, fire. So I was talking about the Magnificent Seven is a is a Western adaptation of a of a feudal Japanese samurai film. Um, there's a lot of remakes that fall in the Western genre, not just like ones that weren't Westerns turn into Westerns, but we've seen Westerns get redone. One of my favorites remakes, uh, that's one of my favorite Westerns, is Three Ten to Yuma. You got Christian Bale, Russell Crowe, and uh, Ben Foster with what I consider like the stealing role. He's like you know supporting actor, but scene stealing motherfucker. And Christian Bale also kills this movie because, like I was saying earlier, he's not like the illest, most badass, stoic hero protagonist. He's very flawed. You might more identify or, or enjoy Russell Crowe's kind of antagonist bad guy, but like you don't hate him. He's actually all right. And Ben Foster's character is kind of crazy and wild, but you love him. You love him because you hate him and he's scared of him. But Christian Bale kills, uh, Christian Bale kills his role because he's kind of playing this this dude that's like, ah, oh, man, you know, but he's heroic, and, and, it, and it's a great remake, 
Um, the the OG version is a little older, and some people have hard times, like I said, with older generation films. Westerns for me was always the easiest older films to get into, you know. Um, but for some people, I think it may look so old, like all westerny and shit like that. So they're like, mm, I'm gonna fuck with it. So watch the remake, man. Watch the motherfucking remake. Uh, next one, The Fly. Now, with my goldfish brain, I can't quite remember if they did a remake of Jeff Goldblum's The Fly. Um, not Jeff Goldblum directing it, but starred in it. Um, but Jeff Goldblum's version is actually a remake, right? You want to hear this fucking hard seltzer open? Do you hear that? That's the sound of a man who's trying to watch his sugar and calorie intake. Um, the Jeff Goldblum version was a remake, which I didn't know until recently either. And that's like early 80 joint, um, maybe 84 or some shit. My father, Skip, uh, would always... I didn't watch Disney movies as a kid. I saw like The Jungle Book and the Disney Robin Hood, and that was it. I didn't watch a lot of kids' shit. I was allowed to watch, especially when my parents were still married, whatever. So if Terminator was on, I watched Terminator. You know, like, uh, fucking The Fly's on. Hey, son, come watch The Fly. You know, you're six, seven years old watching this kind of shit, and it would only snowball to more and more shit. So it was creepy. It was a little freaky, a little scary. Um, but it was a good flick. I liked it. And then watching it again when I was a little bit older, not such a wee lad, it was less creepy and scary because I'm not a seven-year-old at like midnight on a Tuesday watching these kind of movies with his pops. It, it was a good flick. Solid movie. Highly recommend it because technically it's a fucking remake. And if there is a new one, don't even bother, dude. Save your fucking hour and a half, two hours. Watch the Goldblum one. Because everyone thinks of Jeff Goldblum now as like this kind of comedic, funny actor. He's almost a parody of himself at times. It, you know, before all that shit, before these Jurassic Park memes and shit, he was, you know, fucking hitting some drama roles, hitting some crazy roles. And he's kind of creepy in that one. At least when I was a little seven-year-old snake, man, he's fucking scary. Or so I thought. You guys must hate hearing those white claws. All right. Um, the last one on the list, 12 Monkeys. I remember I was, fuck, man, seventh grade. My girlfriend at the time, her father was a comic book artist. And uh, I was, when I was much younger than this, I was, I was still drawing graphically at the time, too. But I was really into art, right? My grandparents were painting. I always painted. And I got into drawing because I love comic books like graphic art, you know? So I was like, holy shit, I'm dating this girl or going out with this girl. And her, her dad's this ill, you know, comic book artist. And I thought it was super cool. And he had a good taste in movies and shit. But, you know, we're 13, both of us, and he's probably being dad style. You know, I'm not a fucking parent, being a little overprotective. So anyway, we want to go to the movies one time. And eventually, we, you know, we'd break away from her father's fucking control and be able to do our own thing. But he took us to the movies, and I, I admired this guy because of what he did. So he takes us to see 12 Monkeys, which, you know, rated our movie. Not like we couldn't have gotten in back then. They was not checking. It was easy. Uh, but he, just the fact that he was like, yo, this is a cool movie. Let's go check it out. Bruce Willis, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, actually, in an incredibly ill role. I believe he got an Oscar nod for it. Not that Oscars mean shit. Brad Pitt plays kind of a cuckoo crazy guy. We were talking about De Niro, right? Christopher Walken doing that. Brad Pitt kills it as, as kind of a cuckoo crazy guy. And, and Bruce Willis kills this role. It was a movie that I had to see so many times. Like, shit, man. Inception took me like three times before I not only finished it, but I got it and was like, oh, this shit's dope. But uh, 12 Monkeys was just always confusing. Maybe because I was young when I saw it. But it was very hard to follow. There's a lot of time travel and shit. But it was 
super interesting to me. And I remember sitting there in the movie theater with my girlfriend when we were 13 and her father and like, we're interested in the movie, but it was the most unromantic like movie date with your girl when you're young. But we were engulfed in this film and I would watch 12 Monkeys many times over, uh, always trying to figure it out. I've seen it mad times now. I get it. But never thought this. 12 Monkeys is a what? You got a band. Fucking remake, man. A motherfucking remake. It's a remake of a, a French short film called Le La Jetty. I don't speak French, so if you do, excuse my butchering of it. Uh, La Jetty, which means the pier. And it's kind of like a post-apocalyptic movie with this time uh, travel like kind of cutbacks, flashbacks and forwards to what kind of led to the disintegration of like human civilization because of some disease thing that got spread and... You could might say it's applicable to now, actually. I didn't even think of that. See how naturally oh damaged goods works? I didn't even think of that. But um it's a fun movie to kind of watch over and over again. And Bruce Willis, like, we associate him with action action flicks, you know. And he that's mainly what he is. But he's got some movies where he's not just that action, he's kinda ill, and he's ill in this movie. And Brad Pitt crushes it. And uh you should go check it out. It's a little freaky, little little weird, eerie. Um and I hope that's not what the future is like, but who the fuck knows? So, yeah, remakes aren't always bad. Glass half full, baby. Glass half full. There's some gems out there. Not a lot. I don't know. That was about seven, eight, nine. Um, but, yeah, there's some gems out there. And don't go fucking watch that Point Break remake. Warren Lee, if you're listening, I know you love it. Uh, no, no, no Point Break remakes ever. All right, y'all. This episode of the Damaged Goods Podcast was brought to you by Elite Botanicals. Elite Botanicals is originally the CBD division of Elite Cannabis. If you guys have heard me talk about them, you know this is my favorite CBD product out there. The only one that truly works. I swear by it. That's why I'm endorsing them, not for any other reason. And now they're back with their new line for your little pets, Whole Pet CBD. They are one of the first companies farming high CBD cannabis under industrial hemp rigs. They've been working with CBD since 2013 with one of the first licensees in Colorado. Also, they've been working with Colorado State University since 2016 on their canine research study with CBD. So they know what they're doing. Their focus is providing farm-to-table product that uses the best ingredients possible, ultra-refined, distilled, full-spectrum CBD oil at high potency for reasonable pricing. That's the problem. Most of these other guys are overpriced for their non-working stuff. This allows for effective dosing and a 30-day-plus supply per unit. For the pets, they've got drops that go on their food or in their mouth. they got chicken and salmon-flavored ones. They've got soft gel capsules. they got a gravy powder. You just sprinkle that over their food or put a couple of water in there, and it makes a nice little gravy mix chocked full of CBD, glucosamine, and omegas for their joints. They've got nose and toes balm for cracked noses and paws, and they got some all-natural treats on the way. All this is available at WholePetCBD.com. Elite Cannabis, Elite Botanicals, and now Whole Pet CBD, all from Elite. Go check it out. And now for an additional discount, use the promo code DAMAGEDGOODS. That's D-A-M-A-G-E-D-G-O-O-D-S. Damaged Goods to get an additional percentage off.